Good morning. Happy Sabbath. You know, this time of year, it's always nice and warm. And this morning, I came outside and it was, I think it was about 70-something degrees. When I got here, it was 81 degrees. And normally, this time of day, it'd be about 95. So it's kind of nice that it's acting like it's going to cool off a little bit. I think the next seven days showed that it's going to be in the uh, upper 80s and low 90s. That's, that's survivable. <laughs> it's important to me, you see, because I work outside a lot. So, <laughs> so it's kind of exciting. <clears throat> you know, I've, I've said in the, in the past that I, I like to follow current events that take place in the world and United States and for the most part, and my observations of the last three elections reveals that we are a nation that's in distress. Can you argue that? Corruption is rampant everywhere you look, and there seems to be no intent to hide it. Used to those who were so corrupt at least try to cover it up. Now they don't even try to cover it up. They're just doing it. The ones who are supposed to be protecting us, that would be the Justice Department and the FBI. Seems like they're all in it together now, doesn't it? They're all padding their pockets. Millions and millions of dollars. And it's all on the on the back of the taxpayers. This last week, maybe it was week before last, $400 million was given to the government of Iran. And there was no reason for that to have happened. There were no laws to allow it. It was just done. And I'm going to suggest that while part of this money may have gone to the government of Iran, I bet you that in the future we'll find out that the one who did it padded his own pockets with a large portion of that. We're supposed to be being protected. We're supposed to have laws and um, obligations and moral standing that give us that put us in front of other nations, other people, but that's not happening. All this is going on while the people, the very people that they're supposed to be protecting are on the verge of a meltdown. Have you noticed that? Pardon the pun with the weather, but it has been hot, but if you look around, if you keep up with it at all, you find people are in real distress over what's taking place within our country. They can't figure it out. It doesn't make any sense. As Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we believe this world is on the verge of a meltdown. We believe that we are in the closing moments of this earth's history because of the things that are going to take place, that are taking place. One of the things that's going to take place, we believe as Adventists, is that Catholicism 
will take over and will be the last power on earth before the coming of Jesus Christ. We believe that the whole world will, for the most part, support this last power. And we believe that is, is the intention of this last power to destroy God's people. Is that fair to say? There's one small problem. Ask yourself, what is it that is going to cause 7 billion people that are estimated to walk this earth to suddenly decide to follow after Catholicism? Hmm. That kind of makes it a little difficult to understand, doesn't it? We do believe that there are millions of people who believe in Catholicism, who claim Catholicism to be the church of choice, religion of choice. <clears throat> but that's a long ways from 7 billion. And, and, and the majority of those who are out there now have absolutely no interest whatsoever in spiritual things. Have you seen that? Have you noticed that? There is no interest. So what is it that's going to make the majority of 7 billion people say, I think I'm going to join that church over there? Have you thought about that? You'll find that if you read Daniel chapter 8 and 11, you'll find out how that takes place. We believe certainly that God's people are going to be attacked in the last days. Is that fair? We believe that. Bible says that. But if you read chapter 8 and chapter 11, <clears throat> you're going to find out that there are two groups of people that are going to be attacked by the last power that controls this earth, Catholicism. If one of those groups of people are God's people, who are the other group? Let's look at chapter 11 first. Verse, we'll start in 21, it says, and and in his place shall arise a vile person to whom they will not give the honor of royalty. This is the last power that's going to stand up. But he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. With the force of a flood, they shall be swept away from before him and be broken and also the people of the prince of the covenant. That's God's people. That's the people that we know are looking to be destroyed. But who are the they? So there's two groups. They. Who are they? Go back to Daniel chapter 8. Verse 23, it says, A king shall arise having fierce features. Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 11 are the same chapter. 
a king having fierce features who understands sinister schemes. This is the last power. This power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and prosper and thrive. Listen to this. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy. There's two groups. Who are the mighty? That word mighty can also be translated as corrupt. This last power will also destroy the corrupt. Verse 25 says, He shall destroy many in their prosperity. Chapter 11, verse 23 says, And after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. He shall enter peaceably even into the richest places of the province. He shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them the plunder, spoil, riches. He shall devise plans, his plans against the strongholds, but only for the time. Now you know how he's going to come to power. Now you know why 7 billion people, most of which, will say, I think I like this fellow over here. He's going to take all the money that has been stolen and he's going to disperse it. And we're all going to be okay. 7 billion people still don't have any interest in spiritual things. But if they think that they can be rich, they're willing to follow. That's not what I wanted to talk about this morning. I just find things in prophecy very interesting. <clears throat> Our scripture reading, Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-three, says, I will vindicate the holiness of my name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. This is one of those sermons that as I worked on it, I realized that it was much, first of all, it's much bigger than I am. So in a minute, we're going to pray again that God will step in and, and, and open my mouth and your mind so that things happen in his ways. But this is not so much about proof of, of God as it is proof of how far God is willing to go. Does that make sense to you? If you look up that word proof, the definition used as a noun, evidence or argument, establishing or helping to establish a fact or the truth of a statement. In other words, you will be asked to prove your identity. The synonyms for proof is evidence, verification, corroboration, authentication, confirmation, certification, documentation, validation, substantiation. Who is God? Do we really know? Is there proof that God exists? Well, as Christians, we believe it, don't we? 
God does exist. We know that he exists. But does the world know that he exists? Have you heard of a man named George Carlin? He's a filthy-mouthed comedian who has this really interesting way of putting things into perspective. And he'd be really, really good if he didn't have to hear his foul language. I don't listen to him. Just every once in a while, something will come up that is actually brilliant. This is interesting. This is what he has to say about religion. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything that you do every minute of every day. And the invisible man has a special list of 10 things he does that he does not want you to do. And if you do any of these things, he has a special place full of smoke and fire and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. He goes on to say, but he loves you. He loves you and he needs money. He always needs money. He's all powerful, all perfect, all knowing, all wise, but somehow he just can't handle money. Now, as Adventist Christians, we know that that is blasphemy. The truth is, he is right. That is exactly what religion has done to God. Exactly. Pretty sad. Proof of God is everywhere. You'll find him in some pretty strange situations. Are you tired? Been a long week? Did you put in a good week? Matthew 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, this type of rest is not for the hard labor that you've put in for the week. It's for all the stuff that's going around, on around us that overwhelms us, and we don't know what to do with it or how to handle it, and, and God is saying, don't worry about it, I got it. Just bring your cares to me, and I'll... I'll give you a sense of peace. But what about when we become physically exhausted? Can we find proof of God? When you've worked hard all week, and you've sweated, and maybe you've bled a little bit, and you're so exhausted that you can't take your next breath or your next step, can you find proof of God? You remember when Israel was meandering through the desert? That's a story that we're all familiar with. God saved Israel out of Egypt, sent them to the promised land, and they kind of faltered a little bit, so they spent 40 years meandering through the desert. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 5, it says, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out, and your sandals have not worn out in 40 years. Now, that's a record. My shoes won't usually last more than about six weeks before I've got to go find something else because I've worn them out on my schedule. 
but they went 40 years. Turn this over in your mind. If God can make shoes and clothes that will last 40 years in, in, in the, the harshest of conditions, why can't he make you and I go forever without being tired and without wearing out? I was telling somebody yesterday, this old age is just not working very well for me. I don't mind getting old. It's the side effects that's really bothering me. If God can do that with shoes, why can't he do that with me? Have you ever thought about that? Do you get tired? Yeah, we get tired, don't we? When we tire, we seek rest. And if we're really looking, we'll find rest in the Sabbath. So that was part of God's plan. He knows that if you come to a point where you can't do much, you're looking for a place to put it. And so he created a Sabbath so that you can rest. How about finances? Can you find proof of God in finances? Are you broke? Depending on the reason, if you're lazy, it doesn't count. But if you're not lazy and you're willing to do what you need to do and you're broke, have you considered paying tithe? Tithing? That's, that's a pretty interesting way of looking at it. I'm broke, but yet I'm going to give up part of my income. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there won't be room enough to receive it. Have you ever experienced that? I have. It was an amazing, and it's still amazing, how God provides in very difficult times, I'm not gonna lie. I had a phone call one time from a woman called the TV station. She wanted one of the videos that we were giving away at that time. <clears throat> she didn't have a CD player, she had a VCR player. That was kind of the end of that transition. And so we copied the CD to a v VHS tape and I, I delivered it to her house. And, and I want to tell you that I knew nothing about anything of this family, but just driving the yard, you realize that these were people of, of very meager means. And when I knocked on the door, the lady who came to the door was, was probably in her late 60s. And she was very kind. She was very glad to see me and, and, and very happy to take the, the tape that I, was, that I had brought for her. And she, she wanted to talk. Well, I told you before, I like to talk, so that's not going to be a problem. And as we talked, she's telling me a little bit about her life. And her husband, she's married. And as I said, clearly these are people of meager means. She's told me about how medical bills have overwhelmed them. 
and I mean overwhelmed them. And, and she said, we have, we have, I believe she said, we have just paid them all off. They didn't owe any more. And then she said something that absolutely astounded me. She said, I don't know why it is that we cannot convince our young people to pay a tithe. I thought, wow, <laughs> I'm supposed to be coming here to elevate her, but, 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 but she's lifting me up. It was an amazing experience. And I'm always looking for an opportunity to pray with people who, who, come, who call or, or, or want somebody to come visit for whatever reason. And, and I was pretty sure that I was going to be able to do that here at this home. And I asked her if we could pray, and she said, certainly. And she stopped me, and she went and she got her husband, who was been walking around in the house. And he comes out, and, and as, as I think we're about to pray, she stops me, and she said, no. I want to pray for you. <laughs> Amazing. She had an incredible testimony about how God had, had provided for them and how they had, had honored him in paying their tithe in these most difficult times. What about our relationship with God? Does he prove himself? Can God prove himself in a relationship? A, f a pastor friend of mine used to say that if you don't have a testimony, then you're in danger of being lost. I think he's right. There's a lot of people who go to church because they don't want to go to hell. That's not a real good reason to go to church, but if, if you're that naive, be sure and pay your tithe. I'm being facetious, of course. Do you have a testimony? Can you testify of God's transforming power in your life? Proof of God. God is willing to come to you personally, individually. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Isn't that amazing? Except that's not an uplifting text. If you read the rest of that text, God is talking to Israel. He says, in this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Hmm. That is proof of God. As Bible-believing Christians, we don't have any problem in the concept of God. But just how far is God willing to go to prove himself? You know, I found another text. It's Isaiah 64. It says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things, which we did not expect. Do you have expectations of God? 
How far is God willing to go to prove himself? We have touched on the touchy-feely stuff, the mushy stuff, but now let's get serious. We love to go to church and listen to the sermons about grace and how wonderful God is and he's going to love you and save you and do all these great things for you, but how far is God really willing to go to get your attention, to prove to you not just his existence, but how much he cares for you. And it's bigger than that. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Wow. That's an amazing commentary on how far God is willing to go. But since he was willing to go that far, what else would he do? What would he use to prove himself, especially after what we did to his son? Hmm. If you look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. It says, Every eye shall see him. And then it goes on to say, even those who pierced him. That's, that's kind of scary. Even those who pierced him. Even those who were responsible for his crucifixion. Those who were immediately around when Christ died on the cross. Who doubted. Who said that it wasn't true. God is going to bring those people back so they can personally see his return. That's, that's kind of scary. Does that bother you in any way that God would do that? Do you feel safe in where you're sitting, where you're at spiritually? Hmm. Now, I have to confess, and I may have done this before, but I have a very vivid imagination. And I'm one of those that I believe in a God who has absolutely no limits. And sometimes I get in trouble for that because I'll say things that other people will think, wow, that's not possible. God can't do that. And, and a lot of times, depending on what it is, but I'll, ref I'll go back and I'll say, well, how are you with the flood? Do you believe he did that? <laughs> Creation, you know, he spoke this world into existence in six days. But, but, but did you know there are other worlds out there? He probably spoke those into place with a single word. If he even used a word, he may have just went, and there they were. That is how incredible God is. One of the things we rarely consider as an active part of God proving himself is, is death. How does that prove God? Many Christians have in their minds this picture of a loving, caring, mushy-minded God that it never occurred to them that, that, that death is, did you hear that I enunciated? Is, that is part of his plan. 
Most of us have experienced the death of someone close to us, and it's painful, and it's final, and God intended it to be that way. In 1979, I was a senior at high school, and I was on a trip with the boys' club. We were on the river, and I got a phone call, or somebody brought me a message from a phone call that says, something has happened and you need to go home right now. So I crawled out of the river and really didn't even have a chance to dry off. And got in the car and they brought me to Oklahoma City and took me to a hospital. They didn't tell me anything that had happened. So I had all this time from Ozark Academy to Oklahoma City to try to figure out what in the world is going on. And I walked into the hospital and they took me to a room and my mother walked to me and she says, Oh, Rodney, Brenda, that was my sister, is dead. Brenda is dead. And I'll never forget the look on her face. A mother had lost her daughter. She had to tell me I had lost my sister. And the truth of the matter is that she wasn't dead yet, but she was going to die because what had happened, she was in a bad marriage. And in this marriage, it got so bad that she left. And through the process of leaving, God was working on her heart so hard, she gave her life to him. And she was coming home from church, and she was with the husband that she had just left. And they had pulled into a place that's actually just below the school there in Ardmore. And he didn't want her to leave him, and he shot her in the head and turned around and shot himself. It was a horrible situation. Death. As a young man, I'm not going to lie, I said numerous times, God, how could you do this? How could you allow this to happen? It was incredibly painful. It was several years later, I say several, three or four years later, <clears throat> I, I asked mom about it, my mother. And, and she looked at me in the way that only she could do that. That was very intently. That was very directly. And she said, she, God allowed that to happen to save her. To save, uh, to save her, he, mom said, yes, to save her. And it didn't occur to me. I was a young man. I, didn't, I hadn't lived life. I didn't know. But my sister had a horrible, horrible idea of what relationships were. This was her second marriage. Her first marriage probably would have ended the same way. She left her first husband, who was the, the, the worst form of, of humanity. I could tell you some of the most horrific stories that you probably wouldn't believe. She got out of that relationship and got into another relationship that killed her. It was actually worse. She didn't know how to go about the, pro the, the, the process of choosing somebody who would elevate her. She chose somebody who would manipulate her. And my mother was certain that God allowed it to happen because she had got to a point in her life where she recognized that things had to change. She had given her life back to him. And I have no doubt I'll see my sister again.
It was just a couple of years ago, my mother passed away. She was an amazing woman. She's probably one of the most spiritual people I have ever had the pleasure of knowing. And I'm not just saying that because she is mom. I'm saying that because I have been in her presence when she has spoken to God. And I can tell you, things happen. She is one of those that, that, that had the ear of God. When she prayed, God listened. And, and, and the reason I'm certain that it was that way is because she had a concern and a love for everybody else. She wanted everybody to know who God was. She wanted everybody to be saved. So when she was praying some, for somebody, or when she was praying, she was probably praying for somebody, and God recognized that, and he was willing to say, we got to listen. Incredible God. She had incredible faith. One time I told her, we had the TV stationed up and running, and I said, this is amazing. People were coming to church. We were getting phone calls. Great things were happening. And I said, this is amazing, Mom. Can you believe we actually have a TV station? And she gave me that look again. She said, well, yes. I prayed for it. Incredible. She was, she was in ICU. I was with her up until she took her last breath. A little older, a lot older, a lot wiser. I realize now how this works. She had a cancer. The cancer was removed successfully but she couldn't withstand the surgery because it was so intense and she was dying. She was in intensive care and I remember being there, the hospital had called me and told me that it probably wouldn't be much longer so I rushed down there and, and held her hand and I, I looked around this room and I thought, wow, this is nothing but a resemblance of our arrogance. There's hundreds of thousands, maybe a representation of millions of dollars of equipment that she's, she's connected to and it's all beeping and making noises and doing all kinds of obnoxious things for somebody who's standing there watching their mother die. And, and, and I asked them if they could turn it off and they said, oh no, we can't turn that stuff off. We, they turned it down gratefully. And I'm thinking, you gotta be kidding me. All of this equipment here does nothing but tell us when our last breath will be. There's nothing here that can save us. All it can do is confirm death. Wow. When she took her last breath, I'm not going to lie. I wanted to jump up and shout. For, for God's glory, because God won, Satan lost. I didn't do it because I was pretty sure that the nurses just outside the door would think I was crazy. It wasn't as painful a moment as one might think. 
No longer would she have to endure the pain of the things that this world offers. Now she's resting peacefully. She's actually resting close to my sister. Her intention was that when God comes and raises up his people, that they would come up together. I'm convinced that even as Christians, we take death way too seriously. And we don't take life seriously enough. My mother, at, at 80 years old, she wrote a children's book. It was supposed to be a coloring book about Jesus. Her heart was... She had that spirit of prophecy that we talk about. This spirit being the inward desire. And prophecy is to prophesy about the second coming. That was her desire. Always. God has a plan. And that plan is to do whatever it takes to get our attention. But it's not always to get our attention Sometimes it's to prove that what he's trying to convince us of is right. The book of Revelation gives us some insight. But recently I saw something in Isaiah I thought was interesting. It's Isaiah 24, verse 1. It says, Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste, devastates it, distorts its surface, and scatters its inhabitants. The people will be like the priest, the servant like the master, the maid like her mistress, the buyer like the seller, the lender like the borrower, the creditor like the, de the debtor. The earth will be completely laid waste and completely despoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers, the world fades and withers. The exalted of the people of the earth fade away. You know, we live in a society where our mentality is to better ourselves. But it's no longer a situation where we're trying to better ourselves to make life more pleasant. Now our mentality is to make sure that I'm better than you, or you, or you. And God is leveling the playing field. When it's all over, when it's all said and done, we will all have no choice but to stand before God on our own. We won't be able to say so-and-so. You know, that's kind of what Adam and Eve did. Adam said Eve. Eve said the snake. But there's not going to be any of that take place. It's all going to be about can you stand before God and explain yourself. Revelation chapter 16 verse 8 says the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of pain and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they did not repent of their deeds.
Revelation 16, verse 17 goes on to say, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since, came, since man came upon the earth. So great an earthquake it was, and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great has remembered was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and, the huge, and huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, because, of its plague was extreme, because the plague was extremely severe. Wow. Does this sound like a loving God? It's a wonderful God because what he's doing is he's proving to the universe what sin does. He's proving to everything that ever existed that sin cannot continue on. Sin Selfishness is what I refer to it sometimes. Selfishness cannot continue on. That's right. God is not a liar. It goes on, Revelation 20 says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the keys of the abyss, and a great chain is in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. When the thousand, verse 7, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashores. And they came upon the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire <clears throat> came down and devoured them. Even after a thousand years of consideration, Satan still refuses to give up and acknowledge that God was right. And in his arrogance, he rallies those that God has brought back to life to attack the city. God is making it plain that sin cannot, selfishness cannot continue on. I hear a lot of times people who stand here at this podium say, righteousness wins. Righteousness does not win. Righteousness survives. And the only reason it survives is because God destroys selfishness. Does that make sense? And I'm putting it that way for a very specific reason. I'm putting it that way because you might be thinking in your mind that this is a competition. It's not. This is about us totally giving up. Those things that take over our lives, that Satan puts in there. That's what it's about. 
God destroys them for the last time, or as the Bible describes it, the second death. There's no coming back after the second death. God has proved his point. It's over with. Or is it? An earth that is laid waste, that has been destroyed by fire, with a golden city sitting in the center of it, with thousands and thousands of God's people. He has something left. Isaiah 65. Verse 17, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered or ever come back to mind. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, It is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the earth, or entered to the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. His last, final, crowning, proving act is as we stand in that golden city, he stands up and says, let me show you how I did it the first time. And he calls the trees out of the ground and puts birds in the sky and he puts rivers back in place on the earth. And we get to watch him do it. Is that amazing? And I, I put this other text in here. It says, eyes have not seen nor ears heard. And I told you I have a wild imagination. Would it be amazing? Would it be amazing? Would it be amazing if you could see sound or hear colors or smell them? We live in one dimension here on this earth. Heaven is much bigger than that. God has a plan. God has a plan. He's proving his plan. He's almost done. Are you part of it? I want to be part of it. I want to stand on the walls of the new city and watch him put this world back in place. Put the stars back in the sky. The grass back on the ground. What amazing event that will be. Let's bow our heads. Father, we're so grateful. We are so grateful that you are so willing to be so patient and tolerant with us. But it's only for a time. I pray, Lord, that, that you will guide us, that you will open our mind, that we will look around to the things that are taking on taking place on this earth and we will recognize it as proof of the warnings that you have given us. I pray, Lord, that we'll put away those things that are in our life that distract us from you, from our relationship with you and the job that you have given us to tell others about you. Forgive us, Father, for where we have fallen short it's much greater than we realize. And we thank you again for your love, your understanding, and your willingness 
to be patient with us. In your name we pray. Amen.